There's one thing we know for sure right now, that even in a world of uncertainty, cancer doesn't stop, even in the midst of a global crisis. So on Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is hosting a trailblazing event called The Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie. The event will raise funds to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. So join us and step up to take cancer down. You can climb 61 floors or 1,760 steps. You can do this anywhere, inside, outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill. What you'll do is sign up and on June 13th, join in for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society's heart pumping playlist to keep you motivated. Join in June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. You can register for the big virtual climb at lls.org slash big climb. That's lls.org slash big climb. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics Dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Ports, I'm with you on a Tuesday morning. Allison Lucan is here. Hello. And we have got, oh my gosh, Allison, we have news. We have news. We have interviews. We have players talking about something that happened. Something Crazy. that happened in the world of the National Hockey League. Crazy. Um, the Masterton Trophy, the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy, to be so specific. Um, every year, each team nominates a, a player uh, as that chapter's um, representative for the Masterton Trophy. And Columbus is this year, I think, is an obvious pick, especially when you understand uh, what the trophy represents. Nathan Gerby has been nominated for the Masterton Trophy, recognizing perseverance, sportsmanship, and dedication to ice hockey. Allison, who else on this team? Nathan Gerby this year, right? Totally. I mean, there are some seasons, uh, I will admit, I'm I'm sure this happens in other markets where maybe you're – you're stretching to, to see who maybe fits this definition um, in terms of who we vote for. But uh, when, when the ballot went out, it was, it was an obvious choice for me. Um, and I think it's, it's well-deserved. We've, we've had Nathan on the pod, even in this, this pause. And I think it's very clear to fans and people who follow this team, uh, what this guy is all about and what he's done uh, for hockey and to stay as part of the hockey community. Yeah. Um, Nick Foligno has been nominated three times since he joined the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and just joking around with him the other day, he's like, you know what? I lo- it's such an honor. It is such an honor. I'm ready for someone else to be nominated. <laughs> because it usually means you've been through some serious shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And right. And now the one thing that, that and, and this is voted on by the Professional Hockey Writers Association. We're both members. Um, one of the things that the association has tried to get away from is the idea, and for years it fell into this sort of rut, I think, that it was always a player coming back from injury award. Mm-hmm. Who's come back from the most grotesque or profound injury to have a great season? And starting probably, I guess this push has been going on for years, but really intently the last five or six years, 
um, to certainly consider those players, but it's more than that. It doesn't have to be, it can be a lifetime service to hockey um, award. Yaramir Yager was a, he may have won it one year. He was a candidate one year for sure. Um, dedication to hockey, all of those aspects. Gerby, for me, what, what makes it, we've got a story here posted to the site, uh, hopefully soon. That is, he hits all of the categories. Like, for, to me, we've had a lot of really great candidates through the years. Uh, Kevin Deneen, first two years of the franchise. I think Deneen and Fleener are the only multiple um, candidates. Vinny Prospel was one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the career that he, had, that he has had, the perseverance, the dedication to the game. Curtis Sanford, like people are like, <laughs> he played for the Blue Jackets? Sandman. Uh, yeah, he was a nominee one year. To your point, there are years where you say, man, who really works for this? Like, and so Sergei Bobrovsky got it the year that, that he finally made it through all of the groin injuries. Um, but Gerby, you think of perseverance. And so I, I talked to, to Gerby yesterday. Again, the story should be up soon. Um, and went hard in on each of those categories. Perseverance. Like that kid, and I asked him, when's the first time somebody told you you weren't going to make it because of your size. Right. And I'm thinking, okay, like when he's like 18, like before the draft, he says, oh, I was 10. 10? Yeah. yeah. An opposing coach said you're never going to make it. Um, this, the, the, he was pissed off that he was drafted in the fifth round uh, when all of his – he was one of the best players in his age group. All of his peers are going early that year. So they're just constant – um, things for him to push through. Um, he had so many people he had to persuade. But if we can deal specifically with the word perseverance, Nathan Gerby and perseverance, I think there is a, like endless examples of him pushing through. No question. I, you know, I think um, you think back to people who make changes in, in the game and um, for, for a smaller bodied player, you know, everyone points, of course, to Marty St. Louis. Um, but, you know, when Nathan Gerby and, and, and then following shortly thereafter, even a player like Cam Atkinson, th- it wasn't as accepted as it is now sure. that a smaller guy, quote unquote, can play in this league as the cliche goes, right? And I think that um, the mental perseverance um, just to pursue a career like you talked about, you know, you look at his path, he can't hold a place in the NHL. He gets traded. He, he ends up going to Europe and then chooses to come back. Um, again, even there's perhaps a little bit of humility in that uh, mm-hmm. series of events and to continue to pursue his dream and to always be, uh, you know, our experiences with him, I, I think I can speak for you in saying this, always gracious, always enthusiastic. Um, there's a real joy to him um, for the experience he's going through. And I think that to uh, uh, many of us could not commit to a goal or a dream um, in the face of, of what players like Nathan Gerby have had to go through and, and he in particular. Yeah. And I, and not to belabor the point of his height, but I, I think, I mean, it is, it, it is a challenge. It mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. it is, it just is. And he recognizes that he doesn't, he doesn't want to talk. It's like Cam Atkinson who, who finally when Gerby comes into the room, Atkinson <laughs> starts telling short jokes too, right? Like he's, he's cracking on uh, the new guy. Um, but it, it, this is amazing. He is the shortest skater in, a, in NHL history. There have been shorter goaltenders. Amazing. 
but nobody, he's five foot four. Amazing. Five foot four. Um, and so I, I went back and looked and among, and so, you know, often Marty St. Louis is held up as the example. He was five foot eight. Yeah. Right. And uh, the guy who's, you know, so anyways, I looked at players who were five foot six and shorter. There have only been 65 in the history of the NHL. Wow. To ever, ever play a game. Right. Just a game. A game. Um, he is, he is only six players. I'd have to go back and look. It's either six or seven. It's in the story. <laughs> it's right in the story anyways. Um, <laughs> only six or seven players among those five foot six or shorter guys have played more games than, than Gerby is. And yeah. most of those guys were at the turn of the century. So their first games were in 1916 um, when the NHL was just in its infancy. Uh, so, I mean, it's really rare uh, to a make it, but to, to have the career that he's had, even to have an, an AHL career, this, this guy has done wonders. And again, with the perseverance, this probably also falls under the category of dedication. This guy has had extensive surgeries. Yes. Um, and continues to push through surgeries. He had more surgery in March, another double hernia. Um, he had hip surgery, three pins used to attach the labrum to his hip. Um, he, he has said he's going to play hockey until literally no one in the world will give him a sweater to play. It's insane. It's insane. Um, that's what he does. That's who he is. Um, yeah. His wife won't play cards with him because they go days without talking afterward. It's too, <laughs> it's too competitive. Um, but yeah, and, and if, if you're a Blue Jackets fan who watched the season, Allison, it was incredible to see this team. They started to get, they started to get warm in late December. He came up on December 22nd, scored in his first game of the season for the Blue Jackets, December 23rd, and really was a, an instigator, an energy instigator for this team. Um, as they turned it around, that 19-2-5 and five run, he was here for most of that. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think that you know, and it's 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 a hard line to walk. I remember when we had um, Gerbs on the show earlier this year. We didn't know the extent of the injury that had taken him off the ice right before right. the pause. And and it's. I want to be careful here because we don't want to glorify playing through injury either. Um, but I think that to to look at the commitment to come back and be ready. Um, and go through that work, that's really hard. Anyone who's ever been injured, even just to return to whatever your normal level of life is, um, is a lot harder than people think it is. And when you take that to a professional athlete, I mean, multiply that times a bazillion. Um, But when he came up, you know, it's, he really was a spark. I think he embodied the identity of what this team has been about this year. I think I think we see that a lot. These are the stories that are so fun to tell in sport, right? Is that a, a guy comes in and kind of galvanizes a group when they're, you know, just trying to pull, pull things together and pull along. And he did that for this team and he continued to play with that energy, with that, you know, I, I don't care. I'm going to take you on whether you're my size, bigger than my size, faster than me, more skilled than me, less skilled than me. Um, right. I'm going to play in your face and go hard. Uh, just that commitment to the style of play that makes him effective 
um, particularly within the concept of how the Jackets are built right now. I think that was just a massive thing for, for this team. Yeah. I mean, because it's easy to forget this team, when it was healthy, did not play that well. That's right. And it's only when it got – when it had that wave of injuries and, and players like, like Merzlikens stepped up in a huge way. Andrew Peak stepped in. There were so many guys that stepped up that Gerby – Gerby was the guy. I mean, it's we we we've both seen this team play many many games in Nationwide Arena. It is it's not rare for the fans to to be into it and know what they're looking at. It's rare for the fans to serenade a player, <laughs> yeah, by chanting his name like that. That just doesn't happen very much. But he's a guy that this uh, fan base really put their arms around. I poked around um, with people in Cleveland. Uh, looking for the angle of sportsmanship. So it, it's, it's a, that's a tricky word. Mm-hmm. Um, it technically means treating your opponents uh, with respect. He definitely does that. He's not a Lady Bing candidate, never will be. Right. Um, but it is a respectful game that he plays. But going deeper than that, um, a couple of the players there said, ask him about his dinner parties. Oh, boy. I know. You know, that's interesting. So Nathan Gerby has a standing invitation to – this is when he was in Cleveland. I assume he's done it elsewhere. He hasn't done it in, Cleveland, in Columbus yet because he was only there for two and a half months or whatever, and there's a leadership group there. It's a different role for him. Um, yeah, so a standing invitation to the room. Um, you're always welcome in my house. You don't even have to call first, but if you want to stay for dinner, just let us know in advance so we can – we can make, make amends for that. And if not enough players take him up on it, then he will one day a week pick a day where five young players have to come over to his house <laughs> for dinner. So I said, how, you know, what, how, what became of this? And he said, um, it was pretty funny. Uh, oh, Cole Sherwood's here all the time. Uh, Dylan Simpson and his wife would come over. Um, who did he say? There was a girl, oh, um, Paul Bittner. Yeah, he was a, he's one of our better customers. Um, so they would have these gatherings. Players would just show up out of the blue, end up staying for dinner. Um, and it fostered – it was his thing. He said he has learned through his years that everybody has a story. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a challenge. And if you understand where the player is coming from, what they've come through, you are better likely to understand their motivation. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, like yeah. this, this isn't just a guy that straps the skates on and goes out and runs into people. Um, and th- that, that, that spoke uh, volumes to me. This is a guy, um, maybe if he'd stayed in the NHL, uh, sustained an NHL career, didn't go to Europe and come back, was able to stick with Carolina or Buffalo, maybe he would have been a captain or an alternate captain. Maybe again, he could be one in Cleveland if the, if the Blue Jackets sent him there. But what a statement for the guy to, to not, not just let people know they can come talk to him, but almost force them to open up and create a family atmosphere. Absolutely. And I, this, I mean, we, we see this uh, investment in community, if you will, from him in, in a couple of ways. I mean, we saw this even when the pause hit, he hadn't been in Cleveland in some time. He'd been with the Columbus squad and he's taking lunches to you know, community employees who were working in against the COVID pandemic. He was 
funding lunches for hospitals. Um, this is, this is a guy who is invested in the fabric of what's going on, not just what's going on. Um, that's a super cool story. And, and when you think about, you know, we talk about this all the time and maybe we gloss over it, but part of the transitional work that happens at the AHL level for a lot of the younger guys is learning how to live on your own. Maybe you're coming from a billet family experience where you still basically had a mom and a dad and maybe sisters and you came home and Absolutely. food was there. And, and so to do something like this is such a lovely bridge from that kind of an experience to quote unquote, being a grown up, if you will, um, what a supportive gesture, um, particularly for the younger guys or, or the international guys who are learning a whole new culture too. Yeah. He's one of those guys, different personality entirely, but I get the feeling that a lot of guys look at him as a, like a Ryan Craig type. For sure. Who was such a oh, unbelievable captain in Cleveland. Um, but just the way that guys, I don't know, it, it comes so naturally to them that the younger players revere them. Yep. Um, even if, and it's, it's the sad reality in sports, Kirby's 32 years old. Right. He doesn't have that much time left to play, probably. The, the man's body has been beat up, and he's sort of fighting against the odds with his body to begin with. Um, but dedication to hockey, I think, falls into all of that. He's coming back now uh, for more surgeries. You talked about it, Allison, that he revealed on the podcast we did with him a, a couple months ago where you and I are both like, like, um, so how are you feeling? He's like, well, I had the surgery. And we're like, whoa, whoa. Right. Because <laughs> right. no one said anything about surgery. Everyone's talking about Josh Anderson's surgery. Right. Um, you know, ankle surgeries for Jones and Bjorkstrand. Um, here's Gerby coming back from a, a, another surgery. This guy, this guy's going to be a coach when he's done. Don't you get mm-hmm. that, that feeling, Allison? I think if he wants to be, right, if you were – as you were talking earlier, I was thinking he's definitely going to be a leader in hockey, Um, which role will be interesting. I think he'd be an excellent uh, development type coach too, like a Chris Clark. Right. So it's really a question of, of where does he want to touch the game? Does he want to be X's and O's bench boss? Does he want to be more a leader of of people? Um, but, you know, I think in, in, as you're describing those things he's doing uh, in Cleveland and, and for other players, I think what's so important about that and when we talk about leadership, natural leaders like that educate on how others should conduct themselves going forward. Yeah. And I think that's so important um, that he is setting an example. And, and we hear about this of locker room cultures and core groups and, and setting the identity, setting the tone. Think about the little tiny bits of legacy he leaves in, I mean, forget the hockey side of just showing other people how to care about each other. Yeah. Right. That's, that's really, really cool. And that's, that was the Ryan Craig stuff. Yep. Right. That's, that's why the, 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 the commonality there for me. Um, Yeah. And so, I mean, what a, what a season for, for Gerby. I look, he was the eighth forward brought up from Cleveland. So, I mean, it, uh, that's not a, this isn't a scientific ordering, but 20th on the depth chart. Yep. Among forwards, maybe 20, 21, 22, as low as 22. If the team keeps two extra forwards in the NHL. Um, so that, that tells you, and, and that's not a perfect science because you call up guys for different reasons, different fits. Right. And honestly, we talked about this, Allison, at the point 
in early December, mid-December, they started calling up guys and you didn't get the idea that it was the best forward for the moment. It was right. these are guys we need to evaluate for the future. That's right. The season had turned uh, to a not a not a salvage product, but a we're going to get a hell of a draft pick here. Let's see what we have to work with. And then it starts to turn around, which is crazy. Um, but that tells you where he, he, he came from, um, even within this organization that knows him so well. And then he, he comes up December 22nd, scores in his NHL debut on the 23rd. And then on February 2nd, signs a two-year contract extension. Yep. Two more years. Um, so he's going to he's gonna be in the organization for at least two more years. I think we're safe to say that. His minor league salary is $500,000. That's a hefty AHL tag. Um, it almost assures that he won't be claimed on waivers. Right. Um, and it really, I think, really, really helps his cause to stay in the NHL because he only makes like a couple hundred thousand more uh, to be in the NHL versus the AHL. So right. uh, they're going to be massive. I think this team's going to have a, a very – significant off season in terms of trades whenever that happens josh mm-hmm. anderson and a defenseman for a forward is the talk around the league so who knows where the forwards settle out but i think they feel like with with nathan gerby they've got a player um who can certainly be on their fourth line or be their extra player and be a real driver uh for this team so for sure for sure yeah, i i think i think he's a hell of a candidate there's a lot of years like you said where you're putting forth a master's in nominee when you're like, you know what? Good guy. Let's give him a troll. <laughs> right. Right? Nothing against them. Cause right. it, you know, it's all good. But th- there are some years where you think, boy, you know what? Nick Foligno has got a chance with this thing. Yeah. He's got a chance with this. Um, I feel that way about Gerby this, this year. I felt like the name deserved one in the first couple of years of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like Gerby could get some traction here. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where this goes. And I have to tell you, on a, on a personal level, there are lots of years where, uh, where if you're the, the chapter chair, you are charged with calling the player or telling the player uh, you have been nominated for the Bill Masterton Trophy. And there have been so many years where the response is, oh, wow, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> right. right? And, and, and when I talked to Gerby yesterday, I called him and told him, he said, this means more than you know. Wow. Like he knew exactly what it was. Wow. And I wonder if a part of him was thinking, you know, that could be my trophy this year, even before it came to this. I doubt that, but um, I think he realizes his place in the game. So good, good for uh, Nathan Kirby, and, and I hope he certainly gets some consideration around the league that that uh, I think is much deserved. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, yeah, you wanted us to uh, to speak on our second topic, and I think it's fascinating to uh, some players in the NHL. Um, obviously diversity is something that I think a lot of people are taking a second look at inclusion, um, equality, certainly all those words apply. Allison, tell us about a, a startup venture that some players within the league have started. Now this is not NHL affiliated yet, but they will be working closely with the league. Give us, give us some more details on that. Yeah, for sure. So um, yesterday, um, a group of players, and I'll read their names, um, Akima Lou, Evander Kane, Trevor Daly, Matt Dumba, Wayne Simmons, Chris Stewart, and Joel Ward announced that they were forming what they are calling and have named the Hockey Diversity Alliance. Um, they will shorten it to HDA. 
Um, it, this group that I named, they're going to be the executive committee. Um, and they state that their mission is to eradicate racism and intolerance in hockey. We will strive to be a force for positive change, not only within our game, but also within society. Um, they, as you said, are independent of the NHL, but they hope to work with the league. Um, they want to have accountability for developing in inclusivity and diversity for all involved in the sport, including fans and the league office. Um, all of those players I mentioned uh, tweeted out the full release. Um, I retweeted it yesterday as well if you want to read um, the entire thing. And what I think is um, even more interesting about this is that after that came out, um, some, some women hockey players, there have been some extremely strong black women player voices um, speaking on this issue as well. And I encourage you to, um, if you're not, you can check out Soroya Tinker. Um, Sarah Nurse obviously has been vocal. They said, well, what about us? <laughs> and uh, Tara Sloan um, reported out that she spoke with Akima Lu, who said that the, the initial release includes just the preliminary group and that they are going to add some female members as well. So I think this is a very important step. Um, I do think it is worth noting that the league uh, didn't do this. Uh, there was some some noise about this that, you know, that maybe they were hoping for more from the league um, and that the players stepped up and realized they had to do this on their own because um, there was hope that after Akimalu's story and, and the resulting decisions by teams in the league came out that there might be more action uh, to promote diversity. So uh, as we're seeing in a lot of pockets of our world right now, um, some people are saying enough, we're just going to take care of it on our own. <laughs> So, um, yeah, the, the Hockey Diversity Alliance um, is out there, and I think it's going to be really important to watch and see what they, what they do. Now, one of the things that I think that this group, a hurdle they're going to face, even beyond the, the obvious societal hurdle, is this game, hockey, um, prides itself sometimes strangely, uh, excessively, I think, on its desire for nobody to speak out. Right. 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 So nobody wants to be seen as a, an individual voice. They always want to be representative of the team or part of the team. Part of that's charming. Right. But I think there is some, some sort of inculcated, is that too big a word for this? Podcast? <laughs> it, it's built into these players from the youngest hockey age to not have a loud opinion. Right. And I wonder how, I'd be interested to talk to them, but I wonder if you have thoughts on, on this, Allison, if there will be more resistance perhaps than usual, uh, be, just be simply because of the way hockey's wired. There's enough there already that may be an impediment. I wonder if that aspect of it makes it even more difficult in, in hockey. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, I think, I mean, look, you're 100% correct, <laughs> first and foremost. But I think, um, you know, and Kim Davis, who is the league's uh, diversity officer, um, has spoken on this, that um, there is a importance in what we're seeing from players right now. We've seen a lot of players, we talked about that on our last episode, particularly statements from people like Kim Atkinson, um, saying, this isn't okay, uh, we're going to make this part of the conversation. And I think that um, if it becomes, if, if it becomes part of the conversation, then maybe it becomes something that, that is baked in. So it is no longer individuals having to step out and, and rock the boat. It's a thing that is. Um, yeah. 
I, I think that, again, like I said, what we're seeing here is much like in society, we're seeing um, the people p- push for change up the ladder too. So I'll be interested to see how um, right. some of the more <laughs> old baked in hockey guys, if you will, um, can, can be open to things like this, but uh, it will be a hurdle. But I think that if, if the momentum stays, and maybe that's what this group is hoping to capitalize on as well, that it can become part of that baked in hockey culture. This is just something that we talk about and then it, it's of the group. It's not just two or three guys speaking up. Yeah, right. And it, it becomes part of the norm. That's right. And, you know, ultimately the dream is that it may not be necessary and God help us 200 years that we can finally be past all of this great human divide. Right. 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 Um, right. But in our time, I, I think, I think these are really interesting. So this is a fascinating time um, to see change happening, to see NHL players, white and black, speak to this. Some of them really inspirationally, mm-hmm. um, I think. It's like some of the stuff's been really moving. Cam Atkinson's was wonderful. Braden Holtby yep. has been fantastic. There have been others. Yep, so, we've seen players marching uh, this weekend. Tyler Sagan, yeah. um, Chara. Right. So, uh, you know, and – and I think I think it's a great model for us all to to see if there's stuff we don't know um, and listen and 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 find out um, if there's things that we can help make better. Yeah, for sure. All right, Allison. Anything else we need to get to? I think that's it. Uh, congratulations again to to Nathan Gerby. Well, well earned. Yeah. So some players started showing up at Nationwide for small group sessions. The uh, last chat there would be two. These are not open to the media. Um, two sessions of, of six or fewer players at Nationwide Arena. So the phase two is underway. Um, but other than that, it's still pretty quiet in the old hockey world. Indeed. So we will be back with you on Friday um, and look forward to it. Allison, thanks for joining us. As always, a pleasure. Betcha. And we'll talk to everybody in a, in a couple of days. Thanks. Take care. Thank you.